the letter to the Hebrews, the 13th chapter, beginning to read at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the immortal and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never fail you, nor forsake you. Hence, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Amen. And amen. It doesn't seem to be ceasing. It happens all the time. And usually when we around the office are the busiest or in the biggest hurry, that's always when there's a call on the intercom that somebody who is uninvited, unidentified, must see the pastor immediately. And then I know, then I know another beggar has come to Bakerstown. We're used to them around here. We, we get them all the time. When I first started out in the ministry and first came to be the pastor of this great church, Beggars used to be satisfied with maybe a dinner or a few gallons of gasoline to get them further on their way, but times have changed. Inflation has set in. The average request we get today is for 35 to $50. That's right. They'll ask you outright, directly, they need 35 or $50. I could spend the rest of the day telling you stories that we have heard as how people need funds to feed unfed kids, to take care of unpaid bills, and to visit far-off unhealthy relatives. Some of the stories are rather amusing, but we get them beggars here in Bakerstown. Jack Willard was only with us on the staff for a very short time, just a few days or a few weeks when he had his first 
experience with a beggar to Bakerstown and with a little assist from myself, he did very, very well. So well that that person's been back a second time. I want to tell you something about my new colleague on the staff. He's not only a big man physically, he has a big heart. And if anything should happen to me, watch him before he gives the whole church away. I want you all to be assured, though, that when these beggars do come to Bakerstown, they're never turned away because of your generosity and because of the confidence and trust that your session places in the stewardship of your staff. Even though we don't have the time and it's always a bother and sometimes infuriating, we spend time in conversation and those who don't get cash usually get credit for one of the supporters in this community, people that own gas stations and restaurants who are willing to trust us so that we can fulfill the legitimate need that some people do have. We spend a lot of time with beggars here at Bakerstown Church and we do so not just because we want to or it's an easy way to spend the day, it's not. We do so because of Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I really don't know what you believe about angels, but probably no two of us agree entirely on what we believe about angels. We all seem to have our opinions and ideas. I heard of a man the other day who is not used to praising his wife call her an angel, and she was literally thrilled and spent the day up in the air of happiness. And that night she said, why do you call me an angel? Three reasons, he said. One, you're always flitting about. Second, you're always harping on something. And third, by your own admission, you claim you have nothing to wear. I don't know what you believe about angels, and I'm not here today to compound the complexity of angelology. That's a very difficult, confusing subject. But I am here to make us all aware of the fact that when God wants something done here on earth, he sends a message through a messenger to tell people what's going to happen, what he wants done, and how he's going to do it. And the New Testament Greek calls such a messenger angelos. Angelos, which translated into the English means messenger. And nowhere do we see 
more the importance of messengers than in the scenes of the nativity. Where would Christmas be without the Angelus? You remember that 15 months before the babe was born in Bethlehem, in a worship service, just like this one, well, maybe a little more Jewish, but a worship service, a message was received from God through a messenger by the preacher named Reverend Zechariah. Yeah. He wasn't in his study or on his knees in prayer, not even out doing hospital or pastoral call. He wasn't even invocating at the ladies' tea. But right there in the worship service, very much, I'm sure, to his own surprise, a message was received by Reverend Zachariah. It said right over there on the right side of the altar of the incense. That very spot, the Reverend got a message. And what a message. He was to become the father of a son who was to be called John. And even though his wife Elizabeth was very old, she was going to break all medical history and give birth to a young son. The man was so involved in that experience, Reverend Zachariah was unable to speak for nine months. That's with that experience, that message did to him. Six months after that experience, up in the little town of Nazareth, little sleepy town of Nazareth, a messenger appeared with a message to a young virgin by the name of Mary. Many Bible scholars think that she couldn't have been much older than 16, 17, maybe 18 years old. Tradition has it that she was doing her after-school chores around the house. And when she took a bucket and went down to the central supply of water there at the city well, there it was, tradition has it, that she got a message. Even to this day, if you go to the little town of Nazareth and you enter into the Church of the Annunciation, if you go down into the basement through that small, narrow stairwell down there, you'll, you'll find over there in that corner of the basement a well where some would have you to believe is the very well that Mary was standing by when she got the message. And I'm sure when she heard the message, she probably wanted to jump into the well. She was told she was going to have a baby. Not just any baby, God's baby. The Holy Spirit would conceive in her and she would bring forth a son and his name would be called Jesus. She had to tell Joseph, that young carpenter, up and going entrepreneur of Nazareth, trying to make a living. He'd spent about everything he could to get engaged to Mary, and now, at the end of their date that evening, she told him that 
she was going to have a baby, and both she and he knew that it was physically impossible for him to be the father. So being a just man, the Bible says, he decided that he would just break the engagement silently, not tell anybody. But that night, a messenger came from God in a dream that Joseph was having and explained the whole thing to him, told how that she had conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and that she would bring forth a child and that Joseph should name the child Jesus because he shall save people from their sins. Finally, when the night arrived for the baby to be born in Bethlehem, you know who the first ones were that got the message? Not the people downtown in the church, but a group of shepherds who were out watching their flocks on a hill by night. Shepherds who probably swore a little bit. Shepherds who probably, because of their work, at least that was a good excuse, hadn't been in worship for years. Shepherds that were used to calling a spade a spade, who were rough and tough and ready to make decisions and get involved. As angel of the Lord, a messenger spoke unto them and said, Glory to God in the highest. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's who got the message, shepherds on the hill. And you'll remember later on that after the wise men had gone back home another way for fear of Herod, in a dream again, Joseph, the earthly father, got a message that the governor, Herod, and all of the government officials really wanted to, to hurt and kill his son and that he should run away to Egypt. And it was an angel, a messenger of God, an angelos. We eventually told Joseph when it was time for him to return to his homeland so that his son could be called a Nazarene. History could have been different, I'm sure, ladies and gentlemen, but the fact remains it is as it is because God sent forth messengers messengers to relay his message of birth. And the point that I'm trying to make in repeating these historical facts is just not to review what happened back there then, but to get you to see the concept which God was trying to tell us then and now, namely, that any time, anywhere, anyhow, God can use any person to do his will here on earth. And when you draw that principle to its logical conclusion, it brings you to the place where I personally believe, as do many of you, that by the power of God's Holy Spirit, God is sending today to you and to me messages. done here on earth now.
And his messengers are dreams, ideas, suggestions, strange motivations, solutions, people saying something to us completely unconscious of what and how God is working through them. That sounds a little spooky and very, very strange. But that's the first thing that I want you to understand. We must become aware that God can use anybody, anytime, any way to bring forth his message and to make it live today in our minds, our hearts, and in our town and in our world. The second thing I want you to realize is that whenever you hear that message, it's going to sound very strange. I'm sorry, God makes the rules, and when God sends a message through some type of messenger, it always hits us like a ton of bricks. We're going to get all types of strange feelings and behave in all sorts of strange ways. God understands this, but sometimes we do not, and that's what I'm trying to make you aware of today. The word strange is a very strange word. Excuse the pun, but that is true. For you see, in God's vocabulary, there is no such word as strange. A person who is a stranger to us is merely, as God knows, a friend that God has just not yet introduced to us. An idea or a concept that is revolutionary to us is not strange to God, but is simply an idea or a concept that God is waiting for us to get used to. A new discovery, such as television and the computer and some of these other things that we have grown to know and use and depend upon the last 20 years. Today there are no strangers to us. They are not strangers to us, no. But 30 years ago or 40 years ago they would have been simply because we had yet not found them. But God founded them a long time ago. He only revealed them to us through the minds of people who were acquainted and alerted and aware of his message of discovery that he was sending somehow through some messenger to the great inventors and discoverers of those particular new wonderful things that we depend upon today. So don't be too hard on yourself if you begin to act a little strange. And if you begin to feel strange, and people even recognize this strangeness within you because of 
you're becoming aware of God's message to you. You see, we'll react as, as did some of those people that first Christmas. You'll remember that when, when Reverend Zachariah got his message, he was speechless. For nine months he couldn't talk about it. I know people now who who are being enveloped with some type of a dream, an impossible dream, or who, who, who are trying to climb some highest mountain, or, or who seem to be arrested with some desire, some wish. They want to start a new company. They want to discover this. They want to do that. And for the life of them, they seem compelled and driven. But they can't talk about it. Not even to the one that they love the most. And they're a little strange. I know other people who are like Mary. And when you read there in Luke's Gospel, you'll find that as soon as Mary got her message, she ran off to the hills. She didn't go to father and mother. She went to her kinsfolk, Elizabeth. Because Elizabeth had had some similar experience and she wanted to talk to somebody who understood the strange, scary, spooky things that were going on in her own life. She didn't want to be laughed at or ridiculed, so she went to somebody who could identify with what was happening to her. And look at the shepherds, those men who were noted for their discipline, their devotion, who were duty-driven. When they got the message, they did what some of us do. And when we get a message, we can't let go of it. We must go with haste and see this thing which has been revealed unto us. And we begin a research or we do a project or or we abandon what we are doing now and with hook, line, and sinker we get involved in this new thing which, which is come and we can't rest until we go and see for ourselves this thing that is coming to pass. Or like Joseph. When a message comes to us in some dream... We feel we have no, no other thing to do but to run away to some far-off Egypt, knowing that when the problem is resolved, we will come back. We will come back. When God speaks to anybody at any time with any one of his messages, and two, please become aware that when God does speak, it's going to sound very, very strange to us. And we're liable to be accused of doing strange things. A woman came to see me this week, a woman who's a member of this congregation and has been for many years. I've been trying to tell you now for some time and really accentuate it in the last three years I have, that God is doing some very wonderful and strange things to us here in this church. 
She came to tell me that for the last several months now, maybe more than half of a year, strange, scary, spooky ideas and thoughts had been crossing her mind. She'd been very frightened and afraid. She didn't even want to think about it, let alone talk about it to anyone, in case it wouldn't last. It was only the night before she came to see me this past week, just the night before, that she had enough courage to tell her husband. He was wonderful about it. As she sat there and told me some things that she couldn't even properly talk about or verbalize, all I could notice was the excitement in her voice, the joy on her face, the tear in her eye, and the fear that was about her. That's one of us that I'm talking about. And before she left, we prayed together, and I tried to give to her some advice that a very wise elder of this church gave to me a long time ago. It was simply this, that when you know something is going on by God's direction in your life, whether it has to do with salvation, solution to a problem, or something that he wants you yet to do for this world, and you're frightened and thrilled, you laugh and you cry, you're excited and you're discouraged all at the same time. He told me, Dick, just hang on. Just hang on. It's like a roller coaster. You're not quite sure what's ahead. But hang on and enjoy it to the best of your ability. That's what I told her. And that's what I want to tell some of you who I know this very moment are being almost tormented, occupied, and prompted by some idea that sounds real strange, but which you know involves you. But you'll say to me, yes, but how can I be sure that this strange thing that is happening to me is of God? Yeah, you know, uh, how can I be sure that these ideas, these beliefs, these dreams that I have, maybe they're from some other source? You know, the son of Sam had an idea that God was telling him to do something. Surely God was not telling him to kill those people. How can I be sure that, that this really is a message from God and that this particular messenger is from God and that this is just not some ego trip that I'm on. This is not just some sinful, selfish desire that I want to achieve, that, or this is just not part of that Reuben sandwich of reacting on my sluggish gallbladder that has caused me to see these things. That's a very good question. And the answer is not as difficult as we might want to think. I would say to you, if some strange message by the power of God's Holy Spirit is coming to you and, and you feel very strange about it. 
Ask yourself this question. Is this good news of great joy for all the people? And if what God is prompting you to do, if that message is from the Almighty, it will mean good news of great joy for all the people, just not a few people, but for all the people. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the good news. And God who sent his Son has also sent his Holy Spirit. And God is sending messages to us for good news of great joy to all the people. That's the way you test it. That's the way you find out whether or not this messenger is from God. God is not exclusive, and though he answers our prayers individually, God sends messages through messengers for good news for all the people. I have felt led to preach this rather strange sermon because I honestly believe that at this season of the year just as the first Christmas God by the power of his spirit is speaking to you and to me just as he did to the preachers and the shepherds the fathers and mothers of the first century 